used to the videos, but uh, uh, the question for today, I'll say it a couple times, is how can I really live like a Christian and not just play church while surrounded by a culture of cultural Christianity, legalism, and social and political agendas? Read one more time. How can I really live like a Christian and not just play church while surrounded by a culture of cultural Christianity, legalism, and social political agendas? I, I think that this question primarily came from uh, our youth group, actually. And it was asked, I think, maybe more than any other question uh, you know, when, back when we were doing the, the, the polling about this, I mean, it may have come in little different ways, and we kind of coalesced it into this particular uh, wording. But uh, apparently, this is on young people's minds in, in, in particular. Now, that doesn't surprise me uh, just from, you know, conversations that I've had. I mean, when you think about teenagers and young adults, really all of us, but uh, I think in particular teenagers, young adults, They've seen a lot of fake. And I think if we're honest, uh, kids, teenagers, are, are good at uh, figuring out fake. They can sniff that out pretty quickly. And, um, you know, they, they see hypocrisy at school, uh, whether they're in public school or Christian school. <clears throat> they see, see kids who, who go to church, go to youth group, claim to be Christians, but then they see what they're really like. But even worse... They've seen a lot of that from adults. They've seen uh, adults who are just uh, playing at, at, at church, and, uh, or they've seen a lot of legalism, seen a lot of hypocrisy. Maybe they've seen you know, <laughs> just this idea that you can you know, name the name of Jesus and kind of live however you want to live, and really it turns people off. And you know, that doesn't even factor in. I mean, this is more talking about within the church. But we live in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile uh, to, to Christianity, and, and, and they're seeing that. And so I, I think when you kind of put all of that together, it's like, you know, can I really live like a Christian? Now, I think sometimes, you know, we're discouraged by what we see from other people, or, uh, you know, you, you, we hear about, you know, this pastor's fallen, and you know, there's all this celebrity Christianity kind of stuff. You hear about these famous uh, Christians, quote, deconstructing uh, their faith. But I hope we all realize celebrity Christianity needs to die. I mean, there's one hero, and his name's Jesus. And if we're going to have earthly heroes, it probably ought to be uh, the persecuted church around the world. Uh, that probably ought to be uh, our heroes. But, uh, you know, and again, we can all be hurt, disappointed, let down by other people. But I, I don't know about you, but uh, my biggest frustration when it comes to a person, when it comes to spiritual things, is with Jimmy Inman. <laughs> it's not with some uh, fallen pastor or somebody else. You know, I, I think a lot of times we can get discouraged with our own struggles. And, and sometimes, you know, we just want to give up. It's like, is this really worth it? Uh, do I really believe? Uh, can I really live this out? Uh, you know, am I ever going to stop sinning? Am I ever going to overcome this stuff? And, and, and there's really, I think, a lot of times, you know, just kind of a temptation uh, to give up. And so I want us to look at a passage this morning 
that I think will speak to this. And how do we really live like a Christian with our own struggles? How do we really live like a Christian with what the culture is, is like around us? And we're going to look at a passage where it uses the metaphor of a race. Now, it's interesting in the New Testament. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And, you know, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. My personal opinion is that Paul wrote it. And, but when you read the New Testament, there's a lot of metaphors, a lot of imagery, especially from the Apostle Paul. We used athletics as an example. So, when I use sports illustrations, I'm, you know, I'm just being like the Apostle Paul. So, um, <laughs> that's my excuse anyway, if you don't like sports illustrations. But, uh, but you know, he, he talked about wrestling. He talked about uh, races. And in this passage, we're going to see that he compares the Christian life to like running a race. Now, I've never really run a distance race. Never had a desire to. Um, I mean, you know, to me, the only reason to run, uh, you know, <laughs> a bunch of miles would be if somebody's like chasing you for a bunch of miles. But... Uh, no, it's really more, I'm old and I have to do the elliptical so my knees don't fall, and ankles don't fall apart. But that's more what it is. But, um, you know, when you're, when you're running, like, you know, I think back to basketball practice when I was younger. You know, when you were running suicides or ha had to run however long. Or when they made you do bear crawl suicides, which was worse uh, than running. And you just want to give up. You just want to quit in that moment. And it's like, is being on this team worth the pain? and the agony and, and, and the suffering that, I, that I'm going through uh, right now. And, you know, that's how life feels like sometimes. You know, if, if, if living the Christian life is like a race, the thing that we have to realize is, is it's a race where we're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and there's traps, there's obstacles, and there's fiery darts coming at us all the time. Maybe it looks like, have you ever seen the TV show Wipeout? Here's a, little, a couple of little clips. Maybe living the Christian life looks a little bit like this. Life ever make you feel that way sometimes? <laughs> so, you know, how do we run this race when we've got stuff like that coming at us? Well, that's what I hope that we'll learn from Hebrews chapter 12 today. Before we read Hebrews 12, let's look at just one other verse. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And I just want to remind us that Paul warns us that in this race, we can disqualify ourselves. He says this, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown, a heavenly eternal crown, something that's never going to fade away. And then he says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, 
but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, how can we finish the race? How can we receive the prize? How can we avoid being disqualified? How can we really live like Christians in this culture with these challenges and endure to the end? Well, I think Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 gives us an answer to that. And, and I want to show you three ways from these couple of verses that it speaks to that. But, but this is what uh, the text says. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, like catches us like we're getting caught in a trap. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, that's marked out for us. God has a race, a plan, a life marked out, planned out for you. But we've got to endure, to finish, and to experience the life and be used by God in the ways that He wants to use us. And it says looking, which literally means fixing our eyes on. It means staring at, you know, not turning to the left or the right. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Or, or, or really, uh, like if you read this in the New King James or certain translations, you know, there's certain words that are in italics. And this isn't showing up if you're looking at it on the screen. But that means that word was um, supplied by the translator to try to give clarity to it. But based on my studies, I think they made a mistake in this translation of uh, inserting the word our here. I, I don't think the, the, the original Greek justifies it. It's literally saying the author and finisher of faith, not our faith. It, it's talking about how uh, Jesus, uh, he lived it out perfectly and completely all the way to the end. He's the author and finisher of faith which makes him the example of faith, makes him the example of one who endured. How did he do it? He said, for the joy that was set before him endured, there's that word again, you know, if a word's repeated, it's important, who for the joy, what was the joy that was set before him? The joy of saving us, the joy of knowing us, the joy of making us his own, the joy of purchasing our salvation, that was greater to him than what he had to endure on the cross. That's good news. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a rich text. There's a lot there. Let's unpack it. First thing I want you to notice here about finishing this race is that we can finish the race in faith by remembering that many others have run the race by trusting Jesus. You may feel like you're all alone sometimes. You may feel like there's a bunch of hypocrites around you. You may feel like that, uh, you know, people are just falling left and right. But I want you to, you may be like, you know, can anybody really live this out? And what he's saying here is, yeah, many people already have. Many people have gone before you. Many people are right now. Uh, what I base this on, if you look at the beginning of the text, it says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, I'm be honest with you. I feel like that I've misunderstood this verse for pretty much my whole life, or, the, or this phrase. I, I think it's taught 
wrongly uh, a, a lot. I've probably taught it uh, wrongly in, in, in the past. I think, you know, the picture that I've always had is almost like a stadium full of people, like the, you know, Christians from the past, and they're like there, and they're like cheering you on, like, you know, you can do it, and uh, you've got this, and we're with you, and, and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I don't think this is really what it's saying. The, the word witnesses there. Okay, that, that we just read in verse 1. It doesn't mean spectator. It, it's actually a Greek word that's transliterated into our English word, martyr. You know, martyr is someone who dies for what they believe in. It, it, it literally means to testify. So, I, I think the better way to look at it is not at like a stadium full of people watching us and cheering us on, but it's more like what Warren Wearsby said when he said, quote, these people are not witnessing what we are doing, rather they are bearing witness to us that God can see us through. Because God saw them through. Now, Let's go back for a minute to, to read this in context. What, 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 was the, what was the first word of chapter 12? Therefore. And when uh, you read the word therefore, it means this is a conclusion based on what's already said. So what's already been said and how far back do we have to go to see it? Let's go all the way back to chapter 10, verse 35. Now in between is Hebrews 11, obviously, well, obvious for most people. If you're really mathematically challenged, you may have learned something just then, 10, 11, 12. Got that, Lori? Okay, very good. Um, but uh, Hebrews 11 is what's often called the Faith Hall of Fame, which I'm going to try to convince you today that that's a terrible name for that chapter. But uh, what I, what I want to try to show you is Hebrews 10.35 and, and is and starting there into Hebrews 12, 2, it's kind of all bracketed. It's like 1035 through 39, 12, 1, and 2, like are kind of the, like the brackets or the parameters of Hebrews chapter 11. And so here's what he says in Hebrews 1035. He says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And again, that starts with a therefore, so really, we could go even farther back, but we don't have two hours today, so let's just start here. Don't cast away your confidence. In other words, don't stop trusting Jesus. Hang on to Him, even if you're struggling, even if you're questioning, even if you're doubting. Doubt your doubts, and, and hang on to Him, and who He is, and what He's done for you. And then notice what He says. He says, for you have need of, and here's that word again, endurance. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith. It's really important. It's a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. It's quoted three different times in three different books in the New Testament. That means it's really important. The just shall live by faith. That the righteous were made, were declared righteous by faith. If we're really righteous, we're going to live by faith. He says, if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe 
to the saving of the soul. And so that then provides the context for Hebrews chapter 11, which is one long extended illustration of what he's just said in these five verses, of which then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 kind of wraps it all together and puts a little bow on it and, and, and gives uh, the ultimate conclusion to it. Now, what, what's the point of all of that and how does it relate to what I just said about you know, these people aren't spectators cheering us on, but they are uh, showing us that we can hang on by faith just like they did. Well, I want you to think about it this way. A couple things from Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, when it's called the Faith Hall of Fame, um, again, it, it puts the emphasis in the wrong place. The emphasis ought to be on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, who is the one hero. But, but think about some of the people who are named in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm not going to read much of Hebrews chapter 11, but I want to reference some different people who are in there. And, and, and over and over again, you see this, uh, the, these two words, and if you, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. And it literally means by means of faith, by means of faith, through their faith. Uh, all these things were accomplished. Well, re remember that faith is taking God's word and acting on it. So it, it really means that God was doing it through them as they trusted him enough to obey him in those given moments. But it doesn't mean that they didn't fail or falter or they had it all together. They're not the heroes. Now, hang with me because I'm going somewhere with this. Think about who's named, the, named there. And they did some great things, but Noah did some great things, right? I mean, he trusted God to build an ark when it hadn't rained yet. But Noah also got drunk and disgraced himself. Abraham trusted God, went out you know, to a place where he didn't know he was going. But in the words of John Aiken when he preached here in March, he also lied and pimped his wife out. It wasn't exactly perfect. I mean, think about Jacob. He's in the quote, Faith Hall of Fame, but he was just a complete mess for a lot of his life, right? Train wreck, deceiver. Moses murdered a guy. Rahab was a prostitute. David committed adultery and murdered a guy to uh, cover it up. I mean, Samson was a complete mess, right? A lustful idiot. I mean, couldn't control himself. Great act of faith at, at, at the end of his life. And, and, and this is the point that, that I think he's making. You know, sometimes I think we think that, um, you know, if we don't have it all together and we're not perfect, that we're really not trusting Jesus and, and that we just kind of ought to give up on ourselves. Uh, well, the reality is we ought to give up on ourselves and look to Jesus alone and look to him for grace and know that we're all sinners, but to know that he's faithful and we can trust him because he's faithful. We're not faithful, but he remains faithful even when we're not, and, and we need to hang on to him. It's Jesus alone. It's not us and who we are and what we've done. But the other thing is that I want to point out to you about Hebrews chapter 11 is something that amazes me is like, you know, when people, you know, teach the prosperity gospel, if you have faith, you're going to be, you know, have it all, have everything you want and that kind of thing. Like, if you just ignore the rest of the Bible and read Hebrews chapter 11, you know that wasn't true. Like, read about, I'm not going to read this, but just go read like what Moses gave up. 
what it cost him to obey the Lord. But, but let's just read uh, the last few verses, and this will take us back uh, to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 35, says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Uh, this really sounds like the prosperity gospel, right? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. I mean, follow Jesus and get cut in two. They were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. But they didn't give up. They didn't stop believing. They hung on to Jesus because, verse 39, it says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith. How do you obtain a good testimony? It's by trusting Jesus. But he said they did not receive the promise. What's he talking about? They were saved because they were trusting in a coming Messiah, but they didn't live to see it actually happen. We now uh, receive the fullness of that promise in the new covenant through what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. They were saved by looking ahead to the cross. We're saved by looking back to the cross. But it says here in verse 40, it says, God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, through faith in Jesus Christ, we're all in this together. One family, one people of God, the church, the saints of God. Some have gone on to heaven, some are on the earth. But uh, those, even before Jesus, they made it by trusting in the coming Messiah. Even though they didn't receive the promise, they made it by faith. They, they set that example for us. And they're, saying, they're showing us if we trust Jesus, we can make it uh, too. And so this great cloud of witnesses is the church, all the people of God on heaven and in heaven and on earth, and we're together in Christ. And so all of this fits together. And so what this says to me, this is the practical takeaway. If you feel like giving up, know that there's people who have made it. And know that you can make it too. See, I think it says to us, we need to take our eyes off the fakes and the, and the hypocrites and off the celebrity Christians and, and find some people that are really living it out. And listen, there's plenty of them. We, we can lose sight of that when people let us down. But there's plenty of real people. You know, again, like, you know, when I, that's one of the things when I go on mission trips and I, you know, find it and know it, you know, some of the people in Honduras that we're close to and see how faithfully and fervently uh, they serve the Lord and the sacrifices they make. That encourages me to keep going. I talked about this when we got back from Uganda, just seeing, uh, you know, how passionate they are, seeing, you know, they'll pray all night on a fairly regular basis. Uh, they fast a lot, those kind of things. That's the real deal. That encourages me. That challenges me. You know, something I'm thankful for at True Life. And, and I've said this to my kids on different occasions. All, of the, all three of them have had people here, you know, who have invested in them. And, and I could go around, and I could point some of those people out, but I could just, in this service, or we go to the second service, or people at home point out 
dozens, if not hundreds of people here who are really running the race, trusting Jesus. Uh, you know, those are the kind of examples you can look to. Listen, if you're a teenager and you've got this question, there are people here that, uh, that you can look to. There are people here who are setting a godly example for them. You know, don't just always focus on the people who fall. Focus on the people who are real. That's what he's talking about with this cloud of witnesses. But number two, we can finish the race in faith by laying aside weights and sins so that we can run the race with endurance. Uh, Notice what he says in the second part of verse 1. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So it's kind of a, there's kind of a word picture here. If you imagine somebody trying to run a marathon wearing ankle weights, wrist weights, with some kind of uh, trap on their leg, how's that going to go? Like Sarah Tarr is a distance runner. Like you've run half marathon, done a whole marathon, half marathon, 13 miles. Would you want to run a half marathon wearing ankle weights and wrist weights? How's that going to go? Not too well. And so that's what he's saying to us here, uh, that if we want to run this race with endurance, at some point, you know, we've got to stop worrying about everybody else and realize there are some things that can slow us down, some things that can hinder us, some things that can wear us out, some things that can keep us from actually finishing the race. Now, he talks about weights and sins. And so what would be the difference here? And we'll take them in order. Uh, I would assume that weights, since it says weights and sins, are things that aren't necessarily sinful, but things that are going to slow us down and make it harder for us to effectively run this race. And here's what I'm talking about. You realize there are things in our lives that aren't wrong in and of themselves, but they don't lend themselves to us growing as a Christian. They distract us from growing as a Christian and from trusting and obeying the Lord. It could be things like, um, you know, for me, you know, one thing would be not starting the day spending time with the Lord. Now, there's nothing the Bible says you absolutely have to do that like first thing in the morning. But I know for me, if, if, if I don't do it, uh, you know, like as soon as I get up or very shortly thereafter, I tend to get distracted and other things, get busy with other things, and then I'm kind of, you know, going through the day more in my strength than in his strength. You know, things for me, watching too much sports, that dulls me spiritually, too much online time. Uh, you know, it, it could be whatever it may be for any of us. It could be eating junk food. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing, you can eat anything you want to eat in Christ. But at some point, we can eat in a certain way that hurts us instead of helps us. You know, it could be binge-watching Netflix. It could be video games, unwise spending, other hobbies, things that in and of themselves there's nothing wrong with, but they hinder our spiritual growth. Okay? Now, I want to give you an example of this. And so, uh, Jackson Holt helped me with this. Everybody know Jackson? Uh, you in here, Jackson, somewhere? 
Okay, there's Jackson. Jackson's going to start again in a, in a week as being a pastoral intern for us, but uh, he's already doing intern duties. And so Jackson helped me with an illustration. So we, so we filmed this illustration uh, about a week and a half ago. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm making a fool out of myself to try to teach you guys something. But So I'm 51. Okay, let me say this up front. Jackson just turned 19, right? Okay, so Jackson is fast, all right? Like, he's bulked up a little bit because he lifts weights now, but, like, if you saw him play basketball in high school, it looked like Forrest Gump uh, running down the court. So Jackson's fast. Um, I'm slow. I always have been. That was my biggest drawback playing sports even when I'm young. But did I say that I'm 51 now, right? So Jackson and I had a foot race, and we filmed it. So, you could see the results of this race. <laughs> so, I don't know, we didn't measure it. I don't know exactly how long that was. We were going for somewhere around 50 yards, and he beat me by a lot, okay? But my guess is he would beat anybody that's in this room, even the young people. I don't know, Greg might have a chance, but I mean, I'm telling you, he's fast, okay? So you see what that looks like. But then we changed it up a little bit, and this is not staged, it was a real race. We put some ankle weights and some wrist weights on uh, Jackson, and this isn't a long race, same distance, and so this is the result of, of that race. I won, right? <laughs> I won. You know, completely fair race, and I won. Sorry, Jackson. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Mason Harrell, he's done a great job. He's done these videos for us. I asked him the other day why he put the slow motion filter on me but not Jackson. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think that was fair. But um, so do you get the point? I mean, he beat me by that much in a straight-up race, but to put the weights on, I mean, you see how much of a difference it makes. And the point that, uh, that I'm trying to make, that I think the text is trying to make, is, you know, sometimes we think we can't make it, but really, we could make it a whole lot better if there's just some things that we would lay down in our lives. And so my question for us would be, is there something, it's not necessarily sinful, but there's something that you need to start doing or something that you need to stop doing is some weight that you need to lay aside that's going to help you to be able to be more like Jesus, that's going to help you to run this race, that's going to help you to have the endurance to make it to the end. And sometimes it, it, it can be one little change can make a world of difference. I mean, you know, an example of that would be, I talked about earlier in this series, um, you know, just kind of turning 50 and, you know, making some changes in my life and, you know, it just kind of, that kind of getting my attention. But, you know, I talked about losing weight. You know, one of the ways I lost weight, there was a, there was a, a while with which I was uh, working out just about every day, 
and uh, I was eating well almost all day, but then at night, uh, so my advice is, uh, it's not salty, it's not fried, it's sweets. Sweets are like crack to me. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, I could, I could eat sweets six times a day, I, I think. But I was eating good all day, but then at night, I would stack on sweets. And the problem was, it just be like, it wouldn't be like one candy bar. Here, here's, here's what was killing me. It's bite-sized stuff. Because, like, you know, I wouldn't dare eat, like, more than one candy bar. But, like, you get just not bite-sized Snickers or Kit Kats or Twix or Reese Cups or, I don't know, I could go on with a long list. I mean, you could eat, like, a, a peanut M&M's. I mean, you could eat, like, half a big bag of those. And it was undoing everything else that I was trying to do. Sometimes it's one change. One small change can make a huge difference. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Listen, he's saying we're free in Christ, but if something doesn't help us, or if something's addictive to us, we need to lay it down. What kind of weights do we need to lay down? But then he says not just weights, he says sins. And Proverbs 28.13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Listen, as Christians, we still sin. But if we don't confess our sins and repent of our sins, uh, we're not going to run this race very well. Because we're not going to be in fellowship with God. We're not going to be filled with the Spirit. We're going to be filled with guilt. Uh, We're going to be under the discipline of God. Uh, We're going to get off course. And so that's why, uh, you know, as Martin Luther said, that God has willed the Christian life to be a life of repentance, uh, daily, ongoing repentance. As we sin, confess our sins, name our sins, ask God to forgive us, ask Him to help Him to change us, make things right with other people as we need to. Listen, if we're carrying around unconfessed sin, we're not going to prosper and thrive in our Christian walks. So I would just ask you, Are there sins you need to confess? Are there things that you need to repent of? Listen, it's not that you can't run this race. You can run this race, but you can't do it very well carrying around these kind of weights and sins. And if we'll deal with these things, it'll make a huge difference. He he says, but he says here to run the race with endurance. I want to talk about the word endurance for a minute, and, and it'll come up again as we talk about Jesus. Remember we read endurance in Hebrews chapter 10? Now it's here a couple different times. It's really important. It, it, it's, it's a form of the Greek word, upomeno. And you don't need to know the Greek word, but it's a compound word, upo and meno, and it literally means to remain under. And um, th- this is a very picturesque word to me when when how do you develop endurance training persistence you got to endure something right to be able to run 13 miles you have to endure running a mile and two miles and three miles and you have to run a lot of miles to be able to run 13 miles to bench press 300 pounds, you got to uh, do a, a lot of reps of uh, escalating weight to get to that point. 
You have to, you build endurance by enduring. In, in life, how, how do you build endurance? You build endurance by going through trials. But it's not the trials that builds endurance. It's remaining under the trial that builds endurance. If we run away from the trial, it doesn't build any endurance. It's why, parents, it's dangerous to overprotect and always rescue your kids. Because you'll have to do it for the rest of their lives at that point. Because the only way to build endurance is to endure stuff. And so what he's saying then, when we go through trials and difficulties and, and persecutions and, and, and rejections, like the people had talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, the way that we run this race with endurance is by remaining under those trials and persecutions and difficulties and temptations and rejection and discouragements and failures and doubts. We continue to sacrifice. We continue to surrender. We remain under it, and that's how we build the endurance to keep going to, till the end. It's one battle one day at a time. Saying, don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. Keep trusting him. Other people uh, have made it. You can too. But, but you say, okay, I'm going uh, you know, to lay down some weights. I'm going to lay down some sin. I'm going to try to endure. But, you know, I, I try hard. That doesn't seem to work. It, it, and I get that. And so there's more to it than that. And, and that's the, what we want to look at in verse 2, the, the last point here is we can finish the race in faith, and this is the key, by keeping our focus fixed on Jesus. We, we, can keep, we can finish the race by keeping our focus fixed on Jesus. Look at what he says here, looking unto Jesus, staring at Jesus, setting our focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he's saying, you know, fix our eyes on Jesus. Stop looking at the world around us. Uh, don't base our lives on cultural Christianity, on uh, people with social political agendas, people who are hypocrites, people who are legalists, people who are antinomian. Fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Look to Him. Let Him be in control of us. Let Him live through us. That's how we live this life. That's how we run this race. It's Christ in us. It's Christ living through us. And so when we, fix, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we're going to lose the race. We can't do it on our own. I'll give me another example of that. We film one more race with me and Jackson. So watch this one that I think illustrates this point. When you take your eyes off of Christ, you know, the, the, the imagery here in, in, in this text is, you know, t today, um, you know, in, like in the Olympics, you know, there's the tape at the finish line and they've got the cameras and, you know, they can have a, like a photo finish that's timed down to like the hundredth of a second and that kind of thing. But then you were running to a judge at the finish line and, and that's the picture. And, and so if we 
take our eyes off of Jesus, then we're going to mess up in this race. And so why is this the case? Why fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, it gives us two reasons here. First of all, he's our example. He's our example. He's the author and finisher of our faith, and, and, and that's why I referenced that at the beginning. It's not our faith. He's the author and finisher of faith. He, he's the one who led the way in the race. He's the one who completed the race. He is uh, the example. He faithfully ran the race uh, from beginning to end. But notice it says here, for the joy he endured, there's that word again, the cross. Now think about it. He remained under the cross. He remained under the betrayal. He didn't run from it. He remained under the physical torture. He didn't run from it. He remained under the shame. He didn't run from it. He remained under the wrath of God. He didn't run from it. He remained under becoming sin for us. He didn't run from it. He remained under this temporary separation of fellowship with his father. He didn't run from it. He remained under it. He did that for us. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And, you know, the thing about examples, though, examples are inspiring, but they can be frustrating, too. So, um, let's say, you know, Brett's up here and he plays some kind of, uh, he, 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 wants to, he wants me to play the drums one week. Which would be like my dream, except I have no talent. But, um, but he wants me to play the drums one week, and so he, he's like, uh, you know, he's, he's showing me how to play this complicated drum pattern. He's trying to inspire me. But the problem is, without the talent, he can't enable me to do it. He can show me. He can inspire me. But he's kind of frustrating me at the same time because, like, I want to do it, but I can't do it. And you can say, well, I, I want to follow Jesus' example, but I can't do it. Well, I want you to know that's a good start. Because when we realize we can't, only he can, that shows us that we, by faith, have to depend completely on him. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's how we live the Christian life. But the good news here is that we also see in this verse is he's not just our example, but he is our enabler. Look at what it says here. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And when he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, it means he's ruling and reigning as Lord. But the Bible teaches us that he is our advocate going to the Father on our behalf. He is our intercessor pleading our case. And earlier in the book of Hebrews, it had said in chapter 4, starting in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, he is our high priest. You don't need a priest on the earth because Jesus is your great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. He came, he, he's the eternal God who passed through the heavens and became a man to die for us, and now he's ascended back to heaven to take his rightful place as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Jesus, the Son of God, he says, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he was in all points tempted, yet as we are, yet without sin. He identifies with us. But he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Listen, we can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can come to Jesus, and he's going to give us the grace and the mercy and the strength and the power and the enabling that we need as we trust him and look to him to do what he has called us to do. 
Listen, being a Christian, living the Christian life, is not just like you trying harder or you being more religious or um, you know you doing certain rituals or that kind of thing. Really, the ultimate point of the book of Hebrews is about religious rituals can't save us. It's Jesus and Him alone. But He's accomplished it all. He's our once for all sacrifice for sins, but He's also our high priest who's now ministering on our behalf based on that sacrifice. So other people have made it. We can run with endurance as we lay down weights and sins, but ultimately as we look to Jesus, as we fix our eyes on Him. And just I just want to end with this, just practical. How do we do that? I mean, because, you know, it's not like uh, Jesus is standing over there and we can run toward him and decide, you know, if we're going to look at him or, you know, if we're going to do what Jackson did and turn around and, and go some other way. Uh, I mean, what, what does this look like uh, practically? Well, let me just say it in two ways. First of all, if you're not a Christian. Second of all, if you are a Christian. So if you're not a Christian, this text would say to us to look to Jesus and trust Him as your Savior. What does that mean? Well, let me give you the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. And, and, and Jesus is teaching something based on kind of this weird story in the Old Testament, where, as they often did, you know, the children of Israel, as they're wandering around the wilderness, were sinning against God. And God sent these fiery serpents as, as a means of discipline, judgment on, on them. Uh, but... And then they're, you know, crying out to God for relief from it. God told them to, you know, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And when the people would look uh, at the bronze serpent on a pole, that uh, they would be healed. And so Jesus takes this. Remember, the whole Bible is about him. And he teaches this truth. He says, no one has ascended uh, to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, which in John's gospel, the phrase lifted up is a reference to the cross. So what he's saying, this seemingly weird, crazy story about this bronze serpent being put, serpent being put on a pole is actually about the cross. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what does it mean uh, to believe in Jesus Christ? It means to look to him and him crucified and that only as the means of the forgiveness of your sins. See, as these people looked at this serpent, they were healed. Jesus is saying, I'm being lifted up. I'm dying on the cross for you. I'm bearing your curse. I'm bearing your sin. And when you look to me, when you trust me, when you rely on me and, and, and me alone, that I will forgive you and I will save you. And so it, Jesus saves. It's not Jesus plus us. It's not Jesus plus our works. It's Christ alone. He's saying, bring your sin to me and receive my righteousness in exchange. Repent and, 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 and trust me. Look to me. You can't do it. You can't help me do it. I've already done it for you. Trust me. That's what he's saying. And then, as Christians, he calls us to daily focus on him. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. How do we do this? We do this by getting up in the morning and getting in God's Word and in prayer and in worship, spending time with Him, recalibrating our heart, setting our sights on Him, setting our focus on Him. I mean, how are we going to walk with our eyes on Him during the day if we don't start the day that way? We do it by confessing sins. We do it by depending on Him and going to Him, asking Him to meet our needs, you know, abiding in Him, trying to stay close to Him. We do it by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We do it by, you know, trying to avoid distractions and things, you know, laying aside these weights, renewing our minds. And, and as we focus on Him, He does something in us, and then He does something through us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Christ, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's how we live the Christian life. It's Jesus in me. It's Jesus through me. It's not my own self-effort. It's not me trying to do stuff for him. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's looking to Jesus, walking with him, relying on him. And so... Is your focus on Jesus Christ? Is your trust, your reliance on Him? Are you trying to earn your salvation? Or are you trusting in what He's already done for you? You say, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus, but you know, I'm still struggling with this Christian life. Listen, we all struggle. But you can make it because make it He made it and other people made it. But you've got to look to Him. You've got to lay aside sins and weights, things that, 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 that hold us back and weigh us down. Let's bow our heads if we could and let's pray together.